Catch new episodes of Dial the Gate weekends at youtube.com slash dialthegate. And for the latest schedule, visit dialthegate.com. Welcome to episode 198, no, 178, (laughs) I'm getting ahead of myself, of Dial the Gate. My name is David Reed. Thank you so much for joining me uh, for this episode. Patrick Curry, uh, who played fifth, Iman Chaka, he's going to be joining us uh, for this hour. But before we get started, if you enjoy Stargate, and you want to see more content like this on YouTube, it means a great deal if you hit that like button. It makes a difference with YouTube and will help the show continue to grow. Please also consider sharing this video with a Stargate friend. And if you want to get notified about future episodes, click the subscribe icon. And giving the bell icon a click will notify you the moment a new video drops, and you'll get my notifications of any last-minute guest changes. And clips from this live stream will be released over the course of the next few weeks on the Dial the Gate and GateWorld.net YouTube channels. As this is a live episode, Patrick is joining us uh, here presently. And so if you are in the YouTube chat, uh, my moderating team uh, is standing by consisting of Tracy and Anthony, and they will take your questions for Patrick and we'll ask them in the last um, third of the show. Until then, he is all mine. Patrick Curry, guest star Stargate SG-1. Sir, it is a privilege to have you. I've really been looking forward to this one. Thank you for being here. Thanks for having me. How um, did you get into this industry? How young were you when you knew that this is what you wanted uh, to do um, for you know this period of your life? What was the what was the, um, the pivot point for you? I think just uh, being really unpopular in high school and not being able to play sports, so <laughs> I ended up in the theater program and. Um, it was, I found a family, I found friends, um, a great amount of passion, and then went off, auditioned for university and got into a, a very good program. Um, there were only two in Canada at the time, and once I finished the program, moved into film and television. It has been wild watching the film and television industry just absolutely explode as far as Canada goes. I mean, it's always had some kind of a presence, but not like this. I mean, you know, we, 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 the industry heavily leans on it now. This is a, this is a great thing. Yeah. Um, it's, uh, completely taken off. I mean, originally I was in Toronto and they already had a very Canadian based, um, film industry itself, but the TV, uh, expansion across the mm-hmm. West when I moved out here. It was just starting. 21 Jump Street was just ending its run, I think, right. when I got here. And then uh, X-Files and then it just, we became like the sci-fi capital in a lot of ways. Right. Is that So you came to Vancouver? Yeah. Okay. What were um, uh, some of your uh, most memorable gigs earlier on? Most memorable, gig, memorable gigs early on? Um <laughs> I, I loved you in Galactica. <laughs> uh, yeah, Battlestar Galactica was great. Um, no, I did. A, I did an episode of a, a TV show called Breaker High. Breaker High with this young actor named Brian Gosling. Ah! Uh, so, yeah, uh, that was back in the day. It's uh, it still plays on uh, the white TV channel here, so I love it. Yeah, my nieces and nephews' friends have a good laugh at that. Yeah, I I saw him on Goosebumps uh, back in the the mid '90s. You know, the people the people that you don't expect to or just don't you know have any idea are going to explode. They just take off. So you know, you all have yeah. to. Everyone has to start from somewhere. So that's right. Where um, uh, can you tell me um, a role that uh, pushed you in ways that you didn't anticipate on the page or uh, that you really got to sink your teeth into that, that moved you as a person? Oh, um, gosh, I don't know. Um, 
I mean, I would have to say Fifth was probably one of the most um, emotionally connected characters, which I think is why he resonated so well with the audience and why I've been yeah. so blessed to go to so many conventions. Um, because, uh, yeah, I remember I prepped for it and uh, I was struggling a lot because I was playing it as an alien. And then a buddy of mine, we were running lines and he was like, that's not how you're going to do it, is it? <laughs> and I was like, oh, and then I realized this actually has to go to betrayal. So it has to start at love and go to betrayal. And that, uh, that story arc, um, it's not a fun one to have to go through. No. And it's a lot of meat in terms of one episode. It really takes up what is like, you know, the, 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 the second, the, the second and third, you know, uh, of three pieces of, of that story. There's a lot that happens in there. Um, what material were you given in the audition process? Were, were you aware, you know, when you were auditioning that there was going to be like, um, like he was going to be abandoned? You know, was that was that presented to you when you were auditioning or did you find that out when you got the full script? I'm curious to know no, when you I, found that out. Um, I didn't know at the audition. Um, in the breakdown, it did say that he was going to be abandoned. Um, okay. but I didn't actually have all the scenes. I think the scenes I had were... Um, I think the scene was when I'm talking to Carter about having carried them back. Okay. Um, In the engine room. All right. Yeah. Yeah. This is that one I remember specifically. It's, it's one of the defining moments, maybe before we, we really get into fifth, I should, I should say, I was just reading through uh, the comments um, earlier and someone, uh, General Maximus had put, this was before we started, you know, I, I agree what they did was a necessary evil and you can understand why they did it. But it was also the first time I, the, this, uh, this uh, viewer was disappointed in them for their moral conduct. And it's like, wow, you know, that really, that really says it because that team is about heroes and what they did to him was for the greater good, but it was also the wrong thing to do. You know, yeah. There's, there's, there's a lot going on there in that scene. Telling me, tell me about, about finding that character, you know, going, okay. So you were going to play him more alien and you switched to a more, more. Well, more I, had, human I, had auditioned for, I had auditioned for Stargate so many times. It was, okay. um, I'd gone in constantly and it was like lab technicians, military people all the time. And, um, <clears throat> you know, you're giving, you're a young actor. So you're giving everything to every single audition. And, um, I remember the last audition I did before fifth, um, I was like at the helm, spaceships were flying outside doing the audition and it ended and Peter DeLuise stopped and looked across and he leaned across and he said, you know, man, that was awesome. He's like, you nail every audition you come in for. And he's like, but it's not you. None of them, none of them are you. And so I called my agent after that and I just said, I'm taking a break, taking a break from Stargate can't do it anymore it's been like 30 auditions <laughs> rejection is just too much from one source um and i guess i was away maybe i don't know how long it was it could have been a year or so but she called me up and said they requested you for this audition and i said no and she said no they are asking you to come in for this they know your work they're asking you this time to please come in for this one and uh it's a guest star so i was like yeah okay i'll go i'll go for it and then i got the sides and i was like okay this is way more interesting um, but I was still a bit reserved because you get burned so many times. You're just like, Oh, do I really want to give a hundred percent? And, um, so I think I was holding back and I said, I was, like I said, I was uh, running lines with a friend of mine and he was like, are you, is that how you're going to do it? And, uh, he was like, you really have to like, let go of all the acting part of this. This is one of those ones you get, to go, you're not just a, a word sayer. You're not just doing lines. This is one of the ones where you really got to invest you know and in theater we do that all the time you have more time to work with material and um rehearse with other people and feed off of those relationships and inform your character so i was really lucky to have a friend who went went to the mat with me and we worked the scene out and got to uh the emotional truth of it and it was it was tough i gotta say you know um once you book a gig and you're in that space you can perform it over and over again but getting there it was a it was a struggle. Um, 
there was a, he pushed me really hard. There were some harsh words at times, <laughs> like, <laughs> like in, just, he was, he's really good. And uh, he was like, you just, it has to be vulnerability and you can't fake it. You just can't, you know? And when I watched it back, um, yeah, that I can see why people comment on that last moment. When he, he freezes in the right. Yeah, and it's just like it's like, ow. Yeah. I'm glad they record those things so you don't have to keep going over them <laughs> again and again. Well, you see the look on it expression on it right when he's free he freezes. You know, it's 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 the moment in in my opinion, you, you may you may agree, disagree with this. It's the moment when the when the the I guess it's a I don't know if it's disappointment is the correct characterization turns to anger. Uh, and it's, it's right there. That's, that's in my opinion, when, when the time is frozen, he's not really trying to analyze what's happened anymore. He knows that they've betrayed him and it's damn, it's a powerful scene. Even they're arguing on the ship. We shouldn't have done this. And Jack's like, what do you suggest? You know, what was the alternative? So, it's it's a great it's a great episode of yeah I think that I think that it's definitely not a planned moment it's that transition that you see towards yeah. the end if that's what you're reading into it it's that like what I watched it was just like it is literal literally disbelief like he just looks and he sees it and it's like it's a new feeling and it just sort of washed right over him and it's just like we all have that in life when we're trying to like. Yeah. Someone gives you bad news in public and all of a sudden you have to put up the, you even like your, your emotion is going to switch. And for one millisecond, there's the truth of the level of truth in that pain or whatever. And then you put up the public acceptable version of pain because, you know, you don't have to pretend it doesn't hurt because everyone knows it's going to hurt, but you want to at least put on that face. And it, the way they edited it, it's beautifully, beautifully done mm-hmm. that he's caught right in that raw First time he's ever, ever felt that feeling ever. He doesn't know how to process it. And it's just hangs there. If there had been, I'm curious as to your opinion on this. If there had been a, a, a difference in the, the circumstances where uh, they could have gotten away with him aboard the ship where like, for instance, the the replicators wouldn't have like held on to the the landing gear and prevented the ship from escaping. Do you think that he would have continued to remain loyal to them all the way through for, you know, in, into like potential missions together in the future or as an advisor, you know, or do you think that he would have transformed at some point into something more akin to his family's true nature? I'm curious as to what if you he, think. If he had left with them, if he had left yeah. with them and his family was frozen in time. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think so. It's a nature versus nurture thing, right? And I think that he is, um, yeah, his surroundings would have informed um, what he, he had become. So he would have continued to stay a positive force. Yeah, I think I <sighs> think so. Yeah, yeah. See, <laughs> it makes it even worse. <laughs> <laughs> oh gosh, yeah. We really they really cut their losses on this one. Um, obviously, the, no. Um, Future is guaranteed. Um, did you have an inkling at some point that, oh yeah, this has got to be continued, or was it just like you know what, maybe that's it, and that was a great one-off? And as far as the character goes, if you have to end it on a scene, that's a great one to end it on. What were your thoughts? I think I actually didn't anticipate him coming back. I'm pretty yeah, that was. I thought it was a great episode, a great guest star to have on my resume, and uh, I enjoyed the performance. It's an amazing opportunity filming. Um, but yeah, I don't remember thinking. There are shows where I definitely always think, "Oh, they got to bring me back," and they never do. Oh, I, think, I thought damn. that was. I thought that was. I thought that was it. I was like, okay, yeah, I, I think that storyline is done, right? Yeah. Um, for that character, anyway, not all replicators, but for that character, um, right. So yeah, I was shocked when when they when I got the call to go back. Yeah, the I um the, obviously no fan can know only only the the people who are creating the show and you know season over season for a while there they weren't sure if they were going to do another one and all of a sudden they did and it's like okay well what what content is fresh to mine and what can we 
what can we pull forward from the past? Um, what did what did you? Okay, so New Order Part One. You find you get a. I'm assuming you get a phone call. You find out that you're coming back. What are your first thoughts? And and what did you first you know see on the page? Oh, I was just excited. Like I didn't <laughs> having played. <laughs> Having had to work so hard to find that vulnerability. Right. And I mean, as actors, that's what acting school is about. I spent four years doing, um, you know, in tights, in a studio, voice, movement, all that stuff, getting to raw vulnerability. Like, that's just what we do. And then I go into the audition for this one, it gets to that place. And then it comes back back and it was like, (laughs) don't have to do that again. (laughs) Right. Because he's gone the other way. Yeah. Um, although that, I mean that I'm joking about that, but um, to maintain the audience's in the end, he becomes a sympathetic character. I know that because of the fan reception, um, but you can play someone evil um, and not really from the truth. And you don't, you won't win people over as I would, much. I would never have characterized him as evil. I've, I've characterized him as betrayed and angry, you know? Yeah. Um, you know, it, it, we see it even a uh, new order. Part one is, is definitely anger. New order. Part two is okay. We're I'm, I'm finding now that I have her, uh, I I'm finding a place where we can possibly move forward now because he's the, there is, there's a great scene where she's, she's on her hands and knees and, and she's begging him not to, torture her again and you can see it in his face and how he you know puts his hand through her hair it's like uh i i even i even i can't do this anymore yeah it's i mean it's a sad um the humanity of it is so sad because we all know what it's like to be or many of us know what it's like to be dumped right and as much as you're plotting the revenge and the vengeance all you're thinking is, unless you love me again, <laughs> like, and, then, <laughs> and then all that, all of that's out the window. <laughs> and that's what he's playing with in that whole New Order Part One and Part Two, right? Just like, but he has a limited skill set um, of, of uh, tools available to him to to win her affection. Mm-hmm. So he's pulling on the ones that he has, and it's uh, it's a uh, those are two tough episodes. Oh man. Um, what was it like work, working with Amanda? Brilliant. I mean, brilliant. From the very first first episode, um, like I was pretty green. I hadn't really done a lot of stuff. Yeah. I guess she'd done the show. It was season six, was it? Um, uh, you and, were in season six, yeah. Yeah, and uh, she was just such a grounding force um, and uh, totally connected totally there with you relationship is instantaneous when you start playing a character opposite uh amanda and um we did we filmed uh i think it was the scene yeah the scene in the ship where uh she tells him that i had brought them in was it I can't yes. remember. There was you a carried them shot. one at a t- one at a time back to the yeah. Prometheus. But at one point, Amanda and I shot a scene where they had run out of time um, because uh, Richard Dean Anderson had to go okay somewhere somewhere, and they had I'd never shot like this before, but like they had a two camera setup, so I was doing my lines over here, and she was doing her lines over here, and we we're supposed to be related to each other, and she could tell that I was. I was not getting it. Like it was a whole, whole new technique that I, I had no idea how to deal with. Cause you can hear the person saying the lines to you over there and your body's immediately trying to respond to that, but you got to stay over there. And she just coached me through that. Um, and then playing the scenes with her in, in uh, <laughs> new order was a lot of fun. We, um, uh, gate world was, was on set, uh, at the time. Um, during those those torture scenes, Darren was there, and he uh, he met with her briefly, um, but she you know could only just basically say hi because she was so involved in getting into that headspace. You know, they had to not isolate her, but give her room so that she could work the material and really you know feel you know 
the moment of those scenes. I can't imagine, you know, even you're just, I mean, you're putting your hand in something. You're not like, you know, whipping her or anything or anything like, like, like physically torturous, but it's all in the mind and in the head. And still, you know, it's, uh, it, it would, it would be, I can't imagine doing that to someone. It's, you know, being on set is really performing. Acting is, is, uh, it's tough at times. Yeah. Performing on set is incredibly tough because you don't know what it's going to bring to you from the acting partner to the crew, to the, to uh, the weather, everything, you know, all those elements are in play. And the great thing with Amanda was the, the professionalism um, in when we were filming um, those torture scenes, mm-hmm. they call cut. We were both in our own spaces, separate spaces, but totally available to each other. Like you could sense there was an, uh, we were available to each other. Mm-hmm. If we as an artist needed anything to get us ready for the next take. But I, I could tell like she needed her space in between in every, in every moment. And, um, and she was respectful as well. I've been on a, I worked on a show once where the person I was working with who um, had done a lot of TV and they uh, um, insisted on talking about small talk until they yelled action. Oh, <laughs> like, I could, it, it was impossible to, to, to say my lines. <laughs> Cause been, and they'd be like, they just finished talking about their kid. It was like, don't. And they pull you right out of it. You know? Yeah. I've, I've heard yeah. stories like that where, you know, some, some people just have to, uh, get out of their headspace and then they can snap right back into it. But like in terms of the other performers, where do you leave them? <laughs> you know, they yeah. have to kind of figure it out. Willie Garson, the late Willie Garson, he was like that. Rob Cooper had one scene with him and he was just chatting with him uh, during the the hundredth episode. And then they called act- what Rob's one scene on screen, the executive producer, and he was he just was blown away by how he could just completely flip over like that. But some people, you know, they have to find their way back into it. So. And it, it depends on the content of the scene, right? These these mm-hmm. the scenes that, that we were doing together were you just had to have that space. When you're in one space like that, the the holding cell, the replicator holding cell, whatever what have you, where a lot of these these scenes are done out of order. But for that at least, were you allowed to go through it pretty sequentially so that you could organically feel the movement of that? I can't recall, but I would okay. imagine the way they, knowing that crew as much as I do, yeah, we would have shot it, yeah, sequentially. Okay, and then the farm stuff was that shot before the the uh, onset had had begun. There was a there was a scene on a farm. It was probably like yeah. the yeah, interior yeah. was okay. No, we shot the farm the interior of the farm and the exterior of the farm were an actual farm in okay uh, Cloverdale or somewhere. Okay. Okay. Um, I can't remember what we, what we shot because uh, Amanda I had think, longer hair at that point. So, yeah. Um, let me think for a second. I think we actually shot the farm stuff first, to be honest, because I remember being so shocked seeing her hair and not having any idea that it was coming. <laughs> like, right? I had no idea. Like she like had. Yeah, so she I grew like, it out a little bit. She never can, you know. She was playing a, at at that time, you know. It wasn't it wasn't standard issue in the military. So that yeah, what what a what a I I was the the thing that I you know really surprised me. Um, there were two things. the The first one is that uh, he he creates uh, a copy of her, which my understanding is that was very late in in the writing process that that was added. Um, that wasn't always in there from the beginning that he creates a, a duplicate of her. And then the second thing that surprised me was how quickly, you know, in like, we, we assumed he was going to be the bad guy for the season, how quickly he's defeated in, in Gemini and she takes over. Um, that was, uh, that was, that was quite the, quite the twist. And frankly, I, I suppose, you know, if any of us uh, in our in our teenage years could could duplicate the love of our life and, and bring them with us, I suppose we probably would. And he certainly had the power to do that. <laughs> I think at this old age, I'd say bad idea, kid. <laughs> <laughs> right? <laughs> well, especially when he copies her so perfectly. So of course she's going to leave him too. It's like yeah, that exactly. was that was funny. I'm sorry, but that was really funny. 
Uh, I have uh, a question regarding the uh, the speed. The, okay, so when I think we talked about this briefly before, but I just wanted to make sure that that we get this covered as well. There was a question as to where the um, the others went. Uh, between the time that the planet was destroyed and you appear on the spaceship all by yourself. And you had once told me that you had thought that uh, he had destroyed all of the others in a fit of rage. Do you still hold to that? Is that is that your interpretation of it? Um, in the first episode? So when, at the end of... Um, Missing up, mixing up my episode names here. Unnatural selection. Time freezes. And then we move mm. forward to New Order. And um, the the planet is breaking up, but yet some of the replicators survive, led by you. Uh, between that those, those two times, something had happened to the other replicators to prevent them from all getting away, the other humanoid forms. Is it your, still your interpretation that he had destroyed them so that he could get away from them and... and and uh, break out of the the time field? Hmm. Because something happened to him. Yeah, I think... Yeah, I think I'll stick with my original (laughs) belief. Yeah. It's more juicy. Yeah, I think he... I think he would have... Yeah, because they were all human form replicators as well, so they had flaws that were far beyond their um, nanite state mm-hmm. or whatever that it is. Um, so I think, I think so. And, you know, I mean, they were kind of not the best family. <laughs> no, not, not really. No, they, uh, yeah, you could, I think you could successfully make that argument. Uh, the, the, the other two characters uh, that you were involved with were, were, particularly cool one you had picked up from dion johnstone uh, chaka so you had to like bring in your own interpretation of it while also servicing a history with the character and then iman who was <laughs> just a delight uh which one do you want to talk about first uh, i snorted uh, <laughs> um iman i think is probably my all-time favorite character that i i have ever played really well he's just I was at a convention in London and someone got up and said, my mom thought it was um, uh, Niles Crane from Fraser <laughs> playing that character. I can see that. And I was like, okay. <laughs> um, and Annie Makita came up to me on set. We were in the in the ship and uh, he's like, I just wanted to uh, have a little word. And Andy and I got along great. We both have East Coast roots. And, and uh, <clears throat> he said, I just want to point this out so you're aware how it's coming on camera but um you're kind of like a lizard person but he's he's coming across a little gay (laughs) 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 and i was like and back back then especially that's not what you want to hear um you know if that's not your intention but i think the thing was it didn't it didn't freak me out first of all because i looked like a lizard and I thought if that's what's coming through, then that's what's coming through. Yeah, I mean, it was all basically. I mean, I guess the word is uh, like just yeah. It was the very uh, Niles Crane um, prissiness. Yeah, just a little, yeah. little bit flamboyant. Not a lot. To, I yeah. think it works with the character. I think it makes. I. It's it's the same respect that that Niles I think works is that there's there is a a a humanity and an endearing factor that's thrown into that, and you know you. you He's a nice guy, you know? I mean, even though he designs garbage disposal units for food storage for the food service division, you know? Yeah, it was a lot of fun. And I'm glad Andy, they, the, the editing was was superb, especially there was, I remember there was a moment um, when he goes, I haven't seen it in a long time. I didn't get through all the episodes you sent Yeah, me. But the, my, my, my favorite moment was he, um, I asked the guy a question yeah. and then I go, I guess not. <laughs> and it was like a, it's a little, it's the way they edited it was just perfect. It was what I wanted the performance to be. He's just slightly catty and. Oh, of yeah. course. He had some of the best lines in that episode. You know, had, I can't forget, remember the exact sequence, but like the, um, uh, the, his, his, uh, his boss, 
he, he just calls his boss out for being a moron. Has it occurred to you that you're just a moron? That's it. That's it. And then, and then the boss doesn't say anything. And then I go, I guess not. <laughs> it's great stuff. How yeah. was it dealing with the makeup? Because you did this pretty back to back with Shaka and with Iman. Um, yeah. And I think it was pretty soon after our natural selection. So Unnatural Selection was in season six, and then um, we had Space Race and uh, Enemy Mine early in season seven. So right, it okay. wasn't extremely fa- – it was like a matter of months for sure. Yeah. No, um, so – yeah, I can't remember. I kind of can't remember if I auditioned for them, and I don't think – did I? I'm, I might be wrong, but I don't think I. I know I didn't audition for Chaka. They asked me after I did. Wow. If I wanted to do Chaka, um, but um, the, the 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 makeup would be a nightmare if it weren't for Todd Masters and his team. Yeah. Like, like I am slightly claustrophobic. Um, I don't like having my my hands bound or like I don't like having like being restrained and when they did the um the head cast yes that could have been the end of me like that was just like uh I was I was terrified I know actors who can't do it yeah they're just like find another way you can't you can't suspend my my whole face in that goop for for however long but Todd was just Todd is just so personable and so makes you so comfortable and uh, they poured the goo on, and they could tell that my body was starting to tense up. And his assistant, like, she just was like, I'm just going to grab your hand now if that's cool. So you know, she grabbed my hand, and it actually grounded me. Because you're in there, and you're just thinking, what if the fire alarm goes off? <laughs> like Any number of things. You know? You know? They're saying they're going to take care of me, but <laughs> maybe mm-hmm. they're going to run. I don't know. Um, but that was uh, that was tough. Um, and then Dewey, the morning, we were in, like, 4 a.m., uh, in the makeup trailer and it's just four, three hours of application every single morning. And then once you're in there and you're kind of getting settled and you're like, okay, I'm encased in my new reality. I can deal with this. I'm all comfortable. And then they pull up the contacts and they're like, you know, this big and they put those in and all of a sudden you're like, okay, now I've got to use one more of my senses. And yeah. Um, even I got used to pretty quick because at least it, you could still feel your face. Like your, your muscles are tired afterwards because he had even made a lot of faces. So <laughs> right. the, muscles, the muscles of my face were quite tired. Um, with Chaka, it was more like being uh, encased in cement because wow. it's such a deep prosthetic. You're so far in, removed from everybody. Um, and then when they put on the hands and the feet yeah. and you like you have to be taken care of. Someone has to take care of you between takes. Yeah. And the, and the teeth, you. I would think, you know, Yeah, they come up, you get really friendly with your, uh, the person who's your assistant, um, between takes, they come up and take your teeth out and deal with the, the slobber and get mm-hmm. them cleaned up for the next take when they come back in. So, but amazing, amazing, amazing crew, uh, on that, on that show. How much of your, performance i've i've heard this answer a few different times but i'm curious for you because you're such a physical performer as exemplified in these uh them letting you go to town with with this with this this uh this character uh in in um uh enemy mine um how much of your performance emerges through the makeup process you're sitting there you're watching him come to life or your eyes are closed and you're just feeling the application one way or the other. But I, I imagine like you're the, your, your, your understanding of, of who this individual is, is coming about and informing uh, what you've already learned on the page as the makeup is being applied to you. Or am I just reading too much into that? That would be the case with Eamon, not so much with Chaka. With okay. Chaka, Dion had also established the character. So I was, doing a lot to uh, follow in his footsteps and had to meet the character. Um, I mean, the makeup does almost all of it for Chaka. Yeah. And then 
you bring performance to it. But with, with Eamon, yeah, it was definitely, as I was getting used to the feeling of the prosthetics on my face and how I would be able to move with the prosthetics, that was sort of informing, like, his whole, right. like, sort of movement stuff was partly coming from, was partly growing as I was realizing the limitations of of my normal movements. <laughs> He's such a great character, you know. The the you never um, are going to anticipate uh, who the audience resonates with and who you um, uh, resonate with yourself as a performer until you know all these things come together. And uh, you know, he's one of those where I just wish there was some excuse for them to bring him back because uh, <laughs> he he was just he, he's just delightful to to watch and and I'm sure you know perform as well. So. It's good stuff. Um, I have, uh, with Stargate being um, kind of on like hiatus right now, I've, I've been asking, you know, a, a number of different people uh, as there may be a, a fourth series on the horizon. Would you be interested in either reprising one of these parts, the ones that have not died, or um, perhaps being something uh, new in a fourth Stargate series where were MGM going to green light something? Oh, absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. Um, I am uh, uh, looking forward to what they come up with and hopefully we'll, we'll be finding out something, you know, in the next uh, 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 few, few months here, but uh, the, I mean, I would love to play Eamon again, but as a series regular, I don't know if I'd be able to do the makeup that, that. Oh gosh, absolutely. I have to imagine it, it, it completely takes its toll on some people. Uh, Andy Frizzell, who did the the Wraith uh, Queens, she would say that when she wore her contact lenses all day, after she took them out, she would have tunnel vision. She would have to be driven home. She couldn't see. Mm, yeah. This is crazy. I've got uh, some fan questions here for you. Um, Evie Cahill um, says, uh, thank you so much for your thoughtful portrayal of Fifth. He, uh, you inserted so much humanity into that role. I genuinely felt for him. What uh, personally drew you to the character? Other than the work itself, was there anything that you personally resonated with him? Um, I don't think I knew it at the time, but as time has passed on, um, and as I've engaged more and more with the queer community through the convention process, the story was very much about waking up one day a fully realized adult and realizing that your feelings are brand new and that you're in a hostile environment, both externally and internally within your family. And now you have to figure out how to survive and exist within that when you are just discovering what, who you truly are. Mm-hmm. And so that's sort of um, the story of queer coming out um, and uh, everybody relates to that. And um, adolescents, all adolescents go through that in their own way. But I think that's why the show had such a profound... I, I was at a convention and um, this guy walks up wearing his military gear. And I'm like, okay, I'm going to talk to this person. You speak to everybody. You meet everybody where they are. And I'm starting to talk to him. And then I realized that he's brought his child, who's an adolescent, and they have the Stargate pin in the rainbow flag. And I'm like, how cool is it that I get to be the, the meeting place for this father figuring out the relationship with their queer child who is also figuring out who they are at the same time. And that's, you know, um, they come to this, this, come to this event mm-hmm. and that kid feels that he has a space. Yeah, he's got a place. That space space is there and I'm holding it for him because, or them, because I played a character who uh, showed showed, uh, what that journey is like. I think it's so important that Brad and Jonathan Glasner, Rob Cooper created a show that could be enjoyed by the whole family and not just the grownups when the kids had gone to bed that they they created a place a space where these conversations could be had about 
all kinds of different things. If you wanted to enjoy the show for entertainment, you could. Um, but, it, it, you know, uh, you, you could you can open up the hood of the thing and really have conversations, meaningful conversations with your family about the things that were talked about on the screen. And I think that's one of the reasons you and I are still sitting here talking about this and why we've got, you know, an, an audience of, of 50 current live viewers uh, wanting to learn more because the, the, the content is meaningful and you can have those connections with people at the conventions where you make, you know, you get a glimpse into their lives and it's like, yo, yeah, this was what this, what I took part in was cool, you know? Yeah. Absolutely. And as you mentioned, that last that last um, scene in Unnatural Selection, when they say to him, we use his humanity against him, right? That's a great uh, conversation uh, starter for families. And yeah. yeah, I can't. I mean, all of us at one time or another have um, even if it's for even if it's for something trivial, like, you know, uh, uh, like getting extra condiments at a at a restaurant or something, so we have all used people to our uh, uh, immediate advantage one way or the other, or have been used, you know, based on where another person is, if they're if they're employed somewhere and we're needing them to do something, or if it's a friend and we need them to do something for us, um, either subtly or or uh, not so subtly, and it's easy to to put ourselves in that position afterwards where it was like, oh, I just I just see what happened to me there. And I, I, I've, I've been guilty of it, you know, and I feel bad afterwards. And I, if I can, I try to find the person and say, look, I, uh, that, that wasn't, that was not cool of me. Even if it was intentional or not, these, these things, these things can happen. Lockwatcher wanted to know what was the most difficult preparation you've had to endure for a role, costume, makeup, or even your character development? Oh, um, difficult preparation. Was there a character that required a lot of research? No, I don't think so. But I did have a really, um, I spent a lot of time and went really deep in Battlestar Galactica. Yeah. With, uh, with Enzo. Yeah. Um, I was really happy with that character. I really loved, loved it. And I was glad they brought me back for the, the final season, just for that little cameo. Um, but I remember, remember finding him was uh, tough because he's, a nasty piece of work and uh although when people say it is fun to play play the bad guys or play villains um it is but for me just getting there finding that that character was was a lot of work and then once i had him i was i loved playing him it was it was a lot of fun in, in what way was he was he work? Just accessing the the emotional uh, boundaries of that performance, or trying to justify his, his yeah, behavior? Yeah, just, um, just Battlestar is one of my favorite shows. I'll just put that out there. So I, I'm totally in with you on this. Just, I mean, like I've known people who treat other human beings like like he treats other human beings, and I don't want to be that person. Yeah, and I don't want to ever know how those people feel. But if I like, I don't, I don't, that's not a part of humanity. I, I, those aren't shoes I wanted to step into. Right. But, um, to play the character when you're playing a character for a larger story where that truth has to be very true. So we can actually see the outcome, um, which is a positive thing, um, in stories at large, not just this one. Um, yeah, I had to really like go to that find that ugly nasty i don't care about anybody place mm. um so yeah it wasn't a lot of fun absolutely uh evie also wanted to know when you took over for chaka from dion uh, uh how carefully did you study his portrayal and how did you make that role your own i think we skipped over that a little bit i'd like to explore that a little bit more um well they gave me they gave me his footage um, his shows, his episodes, and I watched those and uh, just tried to get, from a movement perspective, just went with um, uh, rhythm and and that sort of thing. Um, and then I think, I don't know, can people tell that it's not him playing the part? <laughs> I, um... The same guy, right? 
I remember his makeup was a little darker. I remember they they changed his makeup in in some respects, which which kind of surprised me. He, um, you're you're only going to have the the facial structure that you have, and so the mask on top of that is going to reflect that. Um, mm-hmm. The movements were were very similar, um, and but but also I could see a a, a different physicality to it as well. Uh, and obviously, it doesn't say Deion Johnson. It says Patrick Curry. <laughs> I was in the know going in that you were playing this role. Uh, yeah. And I think that the excuse partly for me for that is that he's not the same uh, character that he was two seasons before running around in the, the that, woods. I was going to say, an environment changes everything, right? So Correct. there's a lot, of, a lot of things that have changed. And again, I think this... Um, I don't recall his episodes um, this far in the... Uh, future, but the episode, the Chaka that I played, I thought there was some humor, <laughs> like, yeah. like in the, yeah, like a, a like a degree of uh, lightness, and that's probably because you're right. He has changed as a as a character and evolved, and is in this new situation, mm-hmm. and and he's more evolved. Yeah, he's he's not wearing you know animal skins anymore. He's he's wearing constructed clothes and has can take has taken on a role in his society. So he's almost like a dignitary or a diplomat in his own right. So his stature is taller, and you know I'm I'm sure that that was deliberate on your part. You know where you're bringing a more evolved uh, uh, characterization of of the character out based on who this person is now in this text versus you know. He's not a teenager driving around with his with his girlfriend in in the back seat of his car. You know he's he's evolved in his life. Yeah. And I mean, to be honest, the coat did a lot of the work. Okay, absolutely. Well, that's a great coat, right? <laughs> it was. <laughs> uh, let me see here. Raj Luthra, in each of the roles that you did, looking back this this past little while that you have had, would you have? Were there any changes that you observed um, that you that you would have made in, in looking back in some of this content as an actor? When you review content, do you, do you review it with a critical eye of like, you know what, I, knowing who as who I am now, I would have I would have made a different choice there, or do you just look at the work as it as if it's encased in amber and it's just a part of history? Um, I think that is more more the point. Um, uh, I don't really watch stuff um i mean i I did watch unnatural selection and i'm I'm glad i did because i forgot a lot of it um yeah but i wouldn't have changed anything in in that performance for sure um Mm. but no i think um you just gotta walk away once you're done you know and then it goes i mean don't forget the performances are um perfected in editing and all of that kind of of stuff so yeah, you're yeah. not you're not creating There's a shows vacuum. I love the back and re-edit. <laughs> <laughs> Jeez. Do you prefer um, playing more uh, uh, villainous personas or more heroic ones, if you have to pick, or do you not look at them like that? Do you look at them just as a blank sheet? Um, what do you what do you sink your teeth into more more vigorously, more earnestly? Oh. The villainous ones are more fulfilling and they're more challenging because, you know, the good characters, the villainous ones, as hard as they are to perform, it's fulfilling to actually get the final result that you want, grounded in truth. there's like going into an audition where you're playing a guy whose uh, family's been murdered and he's like got to do all this kind of stuff. You know, sometimes that's really meaty drama that you have to go in and like really tap into that stuff. Um, I find that easier to do because we're so familiar with that. But finding the same humanity in somebody who's killed the family, that's right. Right. And to find the truth in that. Um, yeah, is, where is this uh, coming from? Why why is this behavior yeah. occurring? You know, yeah, that's, that's... yeah. Because when you play the exterior and, and you just play the shell, we know you know when you see 
some people are very good at playing the show and there are lots of great performances like that. But when people really, um, really find the truth in those kinds of characters, that's when, you know, award ceremonies happen and things like that. Right. How often do you come across content uh, when it's still on the page? Where it's just, this is no good. Like either I, oh. I'm i not connecting with this character at all, and I can't see how anyone would. Well, with all the streaming services, it's happening a lot more often. <laughs> it seems um, more like content than art. So much yeah. of it. It's like, okay, we've, we've done this because this will make money, not because we have anything to say. Yeah, and that's why I've, I've sort of moved into, um, I pull back from acting uh, mostly at this point in time. If my agent finds something that she thinks will actually right. uh, want me, that will interest me or her, um, then we look at it. But I have three projects on the go right now. Uh, I met with a production company, a little, I don't want to jinx myself, but very recently, of course, and had a very long meeting um, about a project that I've had and I've been working on for quite some time. And this is the closest I've been to a company picking it up, and that's all I'm going to say about it for of course. now. Yeah, well, best of luck yeah. to that. You know, if it's if it's going to happen, it's going to happen. So Tracy actually wanted me to ask that question: What are you working right now that you can chat about? So so thank you for that. You know, it's. Yeah, I've I've had the privilege through this show of talking with a number of of the former uh, uh, Stargate cast, like Core and Satellite, who you know as they've gotten older and options have have opened up or changed. It's like, okay, I'm not going to waste my time on something that's not worthwhile. You know, even if it means a paycheck. If if it's not worth doing, do, we're not. I'm not going to do it. You know. And it's uh, it's uh, it's it's cool to watch, you know, the the process evolve for people in terms of what they want to take on and what they're they're willing to take on and what you know f- suits them at that point in their life too, because you can't play the same character, you know, that you that you played uh, twenty years ago because you're not that person anymore. So it's cool stuff. I appreciate you taking the time to sit down and and uh, and and talk with with me on the show. It's um, uh, it's been a hope of mine for a while that we could that we could get you and and uh, I'm privileged to have you, Patrick. This this means a lot to me to have you on. Thank you very much, and uh, we can do it again if you end up coming up with a, a whole bunch of new questions or if they come up with a new Stargate show. Yeah, well, absolutely. Well, you know what? Um, I also am doing a commentary series where we're actually going with uh, back with uh, select members of the cast and crew offline, and um, we're doing commentaries of some of the old work. I've sat down with Jacqueline Samuda, with uh, Jay Brazo, and, and uh, a, f- a few others, and I would love to sit down with you and and analyze fifth scene by scene. Yeah. So that sounds interesting. I would appreciate yeah. it. I- I'll reach out to you. Yeah, and I wanted to mention to everyone that um, uh, convention, FedCon, I'll be there in Germany. Yes, in, what uh, is the date for that, FedCon Germany? Oh, you had to ask. I think it's, uh, I think it's May 25, 26, 27, around there. May 26th to May the 28th. Meet your science fiction stars. Let me pull this up on the screen here. All right, and I don't know what it's asking me about data protection, but yes, it's quite the list here, and you you are among them. So yes, this is this is terrific. Is it in is it in Berlin? Where is it going to be? It's in Bonn. Okay, Bonn, B O N N. Got it. Yes, yeah. FedCon thirty one. Everyone. All right. So this will be my 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 third uh, con in Germany. So I'm very flattered to be have been asked again. That's the thing that I love about these conventions is not only is it an opportunity for you to uh, to to meet the fan community, but it's also a chance to to get out and explore a little bit more and, and see different parts of the world, too. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's, that's that's truly great. Patrick, thank you much. Thank you so much for stopping by, sir. I'm going to go ahead and wrap up uh, the show on this end, and I will be in touch with you. All right. Take care. Take care of yourself, man. Bye-bye. Bye. Patrick Curry, everyone. Stargate SG-1's fifth and Iman and Shaka. 
Thanks so much for tuning in to Dial the Gate. My name is David Reed. Um, We are getting ready next week for a really interesting um, pair of discussions. Uh, Stargate and artificial intelligence. I have uh, joining us Google's uh, head of AI, Lawrence Maroney, and Stargate SG-1 Atlantis and Universe executive producer, Robert C. Cooper. And they're going to discuss um, emerging artificial intelligence as it relates to Stargate, as it relates to what we've been seeing with ChatGPT and OpenAI with Bing. And um, we've been seeing this a lot in the news lately. Maybe I certainly have. Maybe the algorithms are just throwing this a lot at me because it knows that I like it. Um, But it's the technology appears to be evolving faster than a lot of us anticipated. And in some cases, it's... It's it's kind of scary. So we're going to have uh, Lawrence Maroney from Google on with uh, Robert C. Cooper to discuss uh, those uh, uh, specific uh, situations uh, that are emerging now uh, in the real world and how science fiction is becoming science fact so quickly. Um, so uh, Lawrence and Robert will be joining us at 1 p.m. Pacific time uh, this coming Saturday, March the 11th. Followed by uh, Jack O'Neill AI chatbot Q&A at 3 p.m. Pacific time, Saturday, March the 11th. We have been training an AI chatbot to talk like Jack. Uh, And uh, it's pretty close. So if you want to tune in and ask Jack O'Neill, an AI chatbot, a question, uh, be sure to, to join us next week at 3 p.m. Pacific time uh, for that. So so that's going to be happening, and it's going to be pretty cool. Kate Hewlett, uh, Jeannie Miller on Stargate Atlantis is joining us March the 18th, Saturday at 12 noon Pacific time. And I've just confirmed, I don't even have it on the calendar yet, but it is, it is we have confirmed, Robin Mosley, who played, <sighs> I'm turning 40 this year, and I can definitely feel it. Uh, he, he was in window of opportunity and, uh, let me see. I, the name is blanking on me. Shame on me. Um, he played for Pete's sake, Malachi in window of opportunity. And he also played Dr. Reimer in Morpheus. Um, I've been wanting to have Robin on for a while because he's the guest star in one of the, the biggest, uh, episodes of, uh, Stargate SG-1, or Stargate, really, of all time. It's regularly on the top. So we're going to have Robin on to um, uh, discuss those uh, performances after Kate Hewlett on the uh, 18th of March at uh, 2 o'clock uh, in the afternoon. So really looking forward to those uh, those appearances. Um, before we let you go, uh, if you like what you've seen with this episode, please click that like button. It makes a difference with YouTube's algorithm. I appreciate my moderating team, uh, Tracy and Anthony, Jeremy, Reese, and Summer. Uh, you guys make the show possible and can allow me to do my job while while you guys handle the, the, uh, the intake questions from the fans. I really appreciate you guys. Thanks to my producer, Linda Gategabber Fury. And uh, big thanks to Frederick Marcoux at Concepts Web. Uh, who keeps dialthegate.com up and running. We are going to also be having the uh, voting system in place for the AI competition, the AI artwork competition that should be ready to go in the next few days here, I'm hopeful for. So we're going to get more information soon. So for uh, those of you, the 15 of you who submitted content, I really appreciate that. Uh, We're going to be um, getting those those votes tallied pretty soon and giving the fans a chance to to vote on them as well. I think that's all that we've got here for you. Uh, my name is David Reed for Dial the Gate. Thanks again to Patrick Curry for taking his time with us. I'll see you on the other side. Dial the Gate is hosted and executive produced by David Reed. The producer is Darren Sumner, co-produced by Linda Fury. The composer is Neil Acree. Animations by Bryce Ors. The production assistant is Jennifer Kirby. Moderators include Summer Roy, Keith O'Mell, Tracy Noller, Jeremy Heiner, Reese M., and Anthony Rowling. Logo design by Deborah J. Bell. Additional effects by Thomas Tots, with contributions by model makers Chris Baker, Stephen Barr, Kevin Zabo, and Tom Paris. The archivists are Linda Fury, Zachary Adams, and Fred Eric Marcoux. For general inquiries for submissions, please contact us at dialthegateshow at gmail.com. 
Visit our website for the upcoming schedule, as well as an archive of our past episodes at dialthegate.com. Thank you.